0: You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall Editors of the Batuta Advocate On Desert Rock FM Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show Live from the Diamantina Shire in the Old City District Recording here in the Budgie Smuggler studio We've actually had to leave our bedrooms for this one because we, we can't really have a margin of error on this interview. Today's interview is one we've been waiting for for a little while. It's with the 29th Prime Minister of Australia, Malcolm Turnbull. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, great to be with you both.
2: Now, Malcolm, just before we get into your new book, um, I just want to take us back to the 11th of March, 2017. That was the day of the uh, Western Australian election. That was also the day that we managed to meet up with you at a nice pub in Sydney and have a bit of a talk on Facebook Live. For us at the time, it was quite confusing why a sitting Prime Minister would take the time out of his day to do that. We just would like to know what it was like from your perspective.
1: Well, i got to tell you, I was very impressed with the way you kept on moving the schooner glasses around <laughs> so that it appeared that I was having about uh, five times as many beers as I did. So anyone, anyway, anyone watching it, could have assumed that I was trying to win a sort of beat Bob Hawke in the beer-drinking prime ministerial stakes. <laughs> but um, no, it was good. No, it was like, not good to see it. Yeah.
0: And then again, we so, um, we were we were lucky enough to have you launch our book in uh, Parliament House almost a year later, which is fitting because now we're helping launch your book today. That's right. A bigger Here picture.
1: Is. good book. They always say at good booksellers. Everywhere. Yeah. But are there bad booksellers? Like,
2: what? Yeah, I think uh, the bad ones are the ones that are, have a very discreet entrance is covered with beads or something. Oh, right.
1: And, and books of. provided in brown paper. Uh, yeah.
2: Yep. The blue booksellers. Now,
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. I think uh, that's all a bit out of date, isn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were actually um, panned quite heavily for having uh, both you and uh, Mr. Little Proud launch our book. We were called uh, Liberal Party bootlickers, hidden centrist cowards, which is actually quite ironic now because we're probably going to be called leftists for launching your book. Well, you just can't take a trick, then. No, nah, it's 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 you know, it's the wild west we live in. But tell me, how does that feel? Does that sting a little bit when you um, get called a uh, raging lefty, even though you've been a member of the Liberal Party for how, how many years? Three
1: decades? Uh, a long, many years, two uh, decades. Um, I look. I mean, you know, there are right-wing nut jobs who uh, like to describe me as a big lefty, yet and then in the next breath they'll say I'm an out-of-touch plutocrat living in my harborside mansion. So, you know, you just can't keep everyone happy. Well, there you go. I mean, look, it's it's laughable, right? I mean, the the uh, I would have thought that. Uh, I've not only practiced free enterprise in business, I've done my best to support it and enhance it and encourage it, particularly innovation uh, in government. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not troubled by, by the uh, cries of people who say I'm a big lefty. The real question is, what does right-wing mean anymore? Mm. It used to mean, I think that you uh, were in favour of, you know, lower taxes, free enterprise, you know, support business, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Sort of national uh, nowadays, it seems to be mostly a cultural thing. Yeah. It's populist, you know, it's in favour of protectionism. It's, uh, uh, you know, I mean, the Republican Party in the United States used to be the Free Trade Party. You know, Trump is, uh, you know, champion of protectionism. and. Uh, you know, pulling out of free trade deals where, where he can. So it's a fairly, it's a wild environment. I mean, I'm not sure a lot of these people, a lot of these labels have, have lost their meaning or their meaning has changed yeah. perhaps.
2: Do you think that's really because we saw Trump win in 2016? Like how different do you think the world would be now if Hillary had won? Would it have just been an extension of what we saw under Obama just, <clears throat> Like yeah, I, I think you, you
1: would have you would have had much more continuity with Hillary. There's no doubt about that. The whole sort of a make America great again to the rest of the world sounds like America first, and and you know everybody else left for dust. That has been a a, a pretty unattractive message for for most countries. Um, and the consequences, as I describe in my book, you know, America's actually got less influence today. Than it had and not not least because uh, trump doesn't want to have more influence in the world you know he's uh, he's got a very um a bleak view of the world and there are, he he's much less ambitious for america's role in the world than than um you know his predecessors have been yeah
2: so. well when you first spoke to him on the phone did you have any nerves like did you you know, like you were about to speak to the President yeah, well, of the United well, I States. Was, yeah.
1: well, 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 you see, basically what had happened was I'd done a deal with Obama whereby, you know, we would resettle some refugees that the Americans had from Central America and we were doing some other favours for them, other things for them, being very helpful, and in return for that, they would resettle about 1,250 of the uh, that was the, it could have been more than that, of the people that were on Nauru and Manus. Now, none of these people were security risks. The only reason we didn't bring them to Australia was because we didn't want the boats to start up again. You know, yeah. that's that simple. That's, that's why Rudd put them there, you know, because he realised that his abandoning Howard's border protection policies had backfired massively. That was the deal. So we were doing, you know, it was a two-way deal. We were doing things. America was doing things. We were confident that Trump would stick with it. Uh, We had every reason to believe that. And then an hour before the scheduled call, uh, the Vice President, Mike Pence, rang Julie Bishop and the National Security Advisor, then Mike Flynn, General Flynn, rang Justin Bassey in my office. And they said, sorry, the deal's off. The President doesn't want to do it. And uh, would the Prime Minister not raise it, please? Uh, so that, and I, and I have obviously had to keep this deal alive. It's really important because I wanted the people, I wanted, I wanted the people that were on Nauru and Manus to get off. I wanted to get them off, but I didn't yeah. want to get the people smugglers back in business. So, so this American deal was very important for that. And so we had a um, we had a pretty rowdy call, as is well known. And Trump was very angry and, you know, carried on and said it was the worst call he'd had since eat worse than poop, apparently.
2: Um, <laughs> well, and, uh, he described we, it as uh, a very we, bad deal, At least, At least it was in English, you yeah. know, that's something. <laughs> and,
1: um, but the good thing was, he, you know, he, we, we, he wasn't happy about it. In fact, he was f- furious, but he did stick to the deal. And that was the important thing. And uh, I haven't got the latest figures now, but, you know, there are, there are a lot of people who have been resettled in the United States as a consequence. So yeah. you know it's been a good outcome for them.
0: Reading your book, uh, particularly the earlier chapters, it really, for a lot of Queenslanders, it, it's a bit of a throwback to the old Les Norton novels down there at the, the surf club and you know running around Centennial Park. You're probably a bit better behaved than Les Norton. But it's interesting to hear how uh, diverse the people around you were growing up down there at that point. And you make a point of, you know, whether it's the old Hungarian Jewish rag traders or the Kiwis that came later and how it was all a bit eclectic. And that seems to have followed you into politics. You know, you, you were quite often quoted as saying, you know, we're the most successful multicultural nation in the world. And uh, obviously you would have done a lot of business with people from different backgrounds and, and the like. How did it feel when you were trying to drive that message as the leader of your party to to you know turn on the news and find out Peter Dutton's gone and said that all African teenagers are gangsters, or you know there was I think it was one point he said the cause of all of the crime in Australia is because we let Lebanese people in in the seventies like
1: he didn't he didn't go he didn't say that Uh, but look Dutton what what Dutton used to do and I assumed it was just the result of not being, you know, bright enough, frankly, and nimble enough. What he used to do was get on the shock jocks, you know, like Hadley in particular, and he would get onto these issues and he would end up agreeing with whatever crazy stuff they were talking about. Yeah. And, you know, then we had to sort of, then we had, and he'd always be apologetic and then we'd have to clean it up and I'd have to sort of nuance my way and everyone else would have to nuance their way around it. So without going out publicly and saying he's a boofhead, he'd be sort of just kind of sidestepping. What he really meant to say was X, Y, Z, which in fact he said A, B, C. You know, there was a, a time, It's there's a, a story about it in the book, but you know, during the 2016 election when he said that, that the uh, problem with uh, refugees was that they were illiterate in both English and their own language and were taking Australians' jobs. Well, of course, quite how someone who is illiterate in, <laughs> yeah. in all languages is going to be putting Aussies out of a job doesn't seem a little Australians. counterintuitive. <laughs>
2: nah.
1: um, and the it just it was it was so offensive to so many people, and and you know, and and it just you know, like it distracted the election campaign for a couple of days, basically, and became an international furore. Uh, why did he say that? I've got no idea, but it was a. You know that's what he did. Maybe what he was doing was marketing himself to that LNP, you know, uh, base. You know, there's there's a saying in um, in the LNP, you know, about throwing red meat to the base. So that means if you, um, you know, say climate change is rubbish, coal is good, you know, refugees are dreadful. That's quote red meat to the base. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know whether it ingratiates you with the base in Queensland with the rusted-on LNP voters. I'm not sure. I think I think a lot of people in the LNP make assumptions about the conservatism of Queensland that is that is, are not borne out by the evidence. Queenslanders yeah. just you want to be able, able to pull down insane. trees again.
0: We just want to clear land again, mate. That's all
1: we want. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, you look at the same-sex marriage uh, uh, ballot. I mean, I was I can't tell you how many people. In the LNP, told me Queensland was absolutely anti gay marriage, mm. you know, and it was a terrible issue. And
2: Except every the time top. I talked
1: about it, yeah. you know, they were angry and the yes vote was uh, was higher than new south wales yeah warren edge actually
0: was... warren edge in the very tip was uh, that was a very big yes just below that was Cata, which was a very big no <laughs> and of course out in batuta we put the no back in maranoa so uh,
2: yeah. but, uh,
1: only, but only but by, only by a you know a whisker yeah yeah i mean i mean the truth is that in that same sex marriage postal ballot where there was a very high turnout you know 80% participation the only seats where there was a very high no vote was actually in Western Sydney. Yeah. Mm. You know, I mean, in, in Queensland, cata was, I think, about 56% no, Marano was low 50s and uh, Groom, which is Toowoomba, was, you know, 50.3 or something yeah. no, and everything and, else was yes. And those are considered Bible belts.
2: Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well. Speaking of um, intelligence, just (laughs) on the topic of it, how hard is it to be a road scholar? There's you, there's Tony, there's Angus Taylor, and I'm sure there's a couple more. But um, (laughs) as a rank outsider, what are the ropes you've got to jump through? I mean, I was reading the part. I I think the road scholars
1: are. I think road scholarships are. You know, they they get it. They're probably a bit overrated. The best uh, comment on a road scholarship was. When I actually won it, in, you know, and would have been, I guess I would have learned about it in 1977, I ended up '77. And my father was a hotel broker and he was out at a pub in North St. Mary's in, you know, Western suburbs of Sydney. Uh, and I managed to track him down and, you know, I called him and I told him that uh, I'd won the Rhodes Scholarship and he was very excited and said he'd come back into the city and see me get into town. And uh, then he rang back a few minutes later, and he said, "Ah, oh, he said he's bloody publican here." He said, uh, "He said you know, he said he doesn't know what a road scholarship is." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I told him you'd won a road scholarship," and he said, "That's great, Bruce. I've got a cousin in the Department of Main Roads. I better make sure we introduce them." <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, maybe road scholarships would be more useful if they were actually about roads as opposed to um,
2: well, being a I couple think, of years um, in Peter Dutton was a traffic cop, wasn't it? He, mm. I guess he's a yeah, he was, he, scholar he, of the word, was not he? I,
1: I'm not... I, I
2: think he did he a was number of the things highway in the police in
1: Queensland.
0: Yeah. We, uh, we actually get messages from people who have been arrested by Peter Dutton 30, 20 years back. <laughs> and one bloke said, I'll never forget the face of that bloke. He busted me with a stick of weed up there in Red Hill. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, now, can you um, tell us a little bit going forward... You were given the position of communications. I'm not sure if you put your hand up for that, but it, it did seem like a bit of a hospital pass from a, a man that probably didn't really want you around. And, and and it was kind of interpreted by the base as you being given the responsibility to slash, slash the budget to the ABC and mess around with the NBN. Now, Angus Taylor's been given an equally uh, tricky cabinet position.
1: I mean, I, I don't think either of those are, are right. I mean, what I actually did was I... I I sorted the NBN out, yeah. and you know it's it's basically built now. I mean yeah. it's it's you're like ninety five percent finished, and so it's been the NBN's are actually a great turnaround story, mm. you know. But anyway, go, go on about Angus. <laughs> does, does it um,
0: is that a thing in in politics? Because you know the voting base would believe that everything is utopian and everyone works together. Would want to believe that. Even Angus Taylor's position, which feels like he's kind of for a man like him, almost in a position where he cannot succeed. Does it feel like they throw hospital passes like that?
1: Well, he's, I mean, Angus's, Angus's problems, uh, political problems, are just being consistently created by Angus. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not, you know, the business with the he with seems the, like a smart uh, bloke. Lord Mayor of Sydney with Clover. I mean, that's all. That's all baffling. I mean, he's a Angus is a Rhodes scholar and actually quite, actually pretty numerate guy. I always thought, but how he could have imagined, you know, the city council uh, was spending, you know, that gigantic amount of money on travel that he alleged was obviously wrong. I mean, there's, you know, there's, I don't know how many people work for the city council. Maybe there's a thousand, but you know, there's, you know, a lot of them are, you know, are garbos and people going around booking booking cars for double parking and so forth. I mean, you know, park inspectors. I mean, the idea that you're spending millions and millions of dollars on international travel is ludicrous. Could, couldn't, they couldn't do it if they tried. So, you know, quite why he he uh, piled into that, I don't know. Why? What Do you think that happens, though, where you'll be
0: given a hospital pass just so that, you know, maybe they see a bit of ambition in you? Do you
1: feel like you, you got many of them? Uh, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think the uh, – I mean, the Howard – made me Environment and Water Minister because he knew I was, I think John's motives were probably one, he knew I was very interested in, in water and knew a bit about it. and We had a lot of drought problems at the time. And two, he wanted someone who was seen as being, you know, a, a bit green environmentally to be the Environment Minister. And he presumably thought I was competent. So all of that helped. Uh, and as far as communications was concerned, um Abbott felt that he'd lost the 2010 election because of the NBN. You know, he felt it was very close, as you remember. And he felt that the NBN was a reason for that. And so, you know, I think he wanted me to sort out a coherent, you know, viable policy on the NBN, which I did and which we put in into place. And, you know, there it is. It's, it's up and running. Yeah. I mean, a, Labor made a hash of the NBN, I'm afraid, but... Uh, and they lost a lot of money that we can never get back. But the the team at NBN have done a a very good job rolling it out. And we're now in a position where I, I think you would struggle to find a developed country or any country with as ubiquitous sort of universal broadband coverage as Australia has because, you know, there are plenty of places where, you know, people will say, oh, you know, this country's, country's got higher broadband speeds, yes, for 5% of the population. Mm. I mean, even in the United States, you know, there are big parts of America, particularly in rural areas, where they have no virtually no broadband at all. So the fact that the fact that we've got really everyone in Australia who's connected to the NBN should be able to get at least 25 megabits per second and 90% uh, of the... Um, fixed line footprint should, has to get, uh, and, and does get over 50 megs, the average speed on the fixed line network, the FTTN network is over 70 megs, you know, that's, that's, that's not bad, you know, frankly, and it makes it, you know, it makes it for a much fairer broadband service across the country.
2: So what was the main things in relation to the NBN that was different about your approach than to Labor's?
1: For a start, I- took a business like approach okay so so my focus was on the customer and that's you know that's a good place to start start any <laughs> business and so what does the customer want the customer wants connectivity at a speed that they're enabled. It enables them to do what they want to do and at an affordable price uh, so the that's why we didn't do fiber to the premises for the whole fixed line footprint because it would have cost, you know, $25, 30000000000 billion more and taken many years more. I mean, it would, only, yeah. it would be maybe half built. Look, be generous. Maybe it would be 60% built by now, but it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be where it is today. And so there'd be millions of people who could not do Skype or Zoom or anything like that, whereas now, you know, the vast majority of people are able to do it. So the critical thing is not the technology. The technology you use is, is a detail? It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me, and I can bore for the world on it, but I, I'll restrain myself. Glad <laughs> to know. Please. But for the for the customer, they just want to know that they've got the service right. They don't yeah. care. They're all those wires and routers and routers and you know all that stuff and servers. All that that switches that's for someone else to worry about. They just yeah. want to get their Netflix or their you know uh, FaceTime or whatever they're doing speaking of
0: rooters um you you had a bit of trouble with the national party um
1: uh, at so certain... I mean, you're talking about beep rooters now. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah who, who we have met with uh, I don't think he'd talk to us too much nowadays but we've been out there in woke with him sinking tins and, and hearing everything and we hope to get him on here one day so Barnaby I know you're True. definitely listening please jump on yeah have you did you at any point and we, we we hoped we'd get a bit of juice out of you today can you tell us if you ever yelled at anyone you know, just kind of yelled at an unhelpful member of your government uh, um, who you were supposed to be
1: aligned with? Well, look, I I honestly can't recall yelling at anyone when I was Prime Minister. Um, but, you know, maybe I, look, I just can't, I can't, honestly, I can't recall doing so. Uh, but I'm sure I have at different times. I don't recall ever yelling at Barnaby, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, he he's a pretty unique Barnaby, pretty unusual.
2: Because there's one part of the book that really, um, I was having a cup of tea at the time when I was reading it. It was about uh, the, the conversation that you had with Kevin. You, you know, because uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because for the most yeah. part, this book is written in language not in the way that you'd come across in that paragraph. I mean did did Kevin Rudd honestly call you a rat piece of shit?
1: oh yeah he did he actually called me much worse right there are a few words there are some words that i'm not prepared to put in print sure yep and and in fact kevin so it was quite it was funny in this respect so kevin rings and he says look i've finally decided i want to nominate for the secretary general of the un and i say okay kevin that's fair enough and he said i'd like the government to nominate and i said well as i've told you several times i have to take that to cabinet but I don't think, I don't believe the cabinet will support it. And he uh, <laughs> said, why well, is that? And I said, well... Because you're said, a nerd. <laughs> it's my view that you, um, you know, you've got your interpersonal skills are a little... Uh, <laughs> and oh, that's when he him. says, you effing little, you know, and yeah, just yeah. this stream of abuse. It was, It was actually... It was a bit scarifying at the time, but it was <laughs> form. And Kevin, to his credit, to his credit, said uh, has acknowledged that I sanitised that part of the book because what I've got in the book is only is a pale reflection of the vulgarity he used. But it was quite it was funny in this sense that he got to the end. So I got the phone there, and he's yelling at me, and I said, "Now look, Kevin, you know, you, you know, you've been PM, you know what it's like." Big job, very busy, lots of meetings to go to. So I'm not hanging up, but I've got to move on. And I was as I was putting the phone down, I could still hear all the <laughs> cursing coming out of it. Uh, but uh yeah, he was uh I, I'm sorry, you know, it was a it, yeah. it hurt him a lot, and I'm sorry about that because he's uh you know, there are there, there are worse people in uh public life than Kevin.
0: I mean one thing we found going down to Parliament you know, doing these interviews and and meeting different people. You found, like, the media commentators don't surprise you. They're all exactly what you'd think they'd be. They're usually kind of leathery old men who, you know, whose daughters are estranged from them and they're just, like, generally unpleasant to be around, the conservative ones particularly. The politicians, though, are some of the weirdest people in the world, even though they kind of hide behind a haircut and a suit. I mean, you had some freak shows even in your party. I mean, of course, Labor's got... Even in my party, I reckon how does it feel, you know, and is it tricky trying to uh, to not come across as cocky when you've got big issues you're trying to deal with and then you've got people talking about, uh, you know, maybe the earth's flat or whatever? You know, you've got mm. – uh, how, do, how does it feel to come from working for Goldman Sachs, working for Kerry Packer, working for these high-functioning mm. people and you've got mm. billions of dollars at your fingertips that you need to manage and then you've got someone like George Christensen who just uh, votes no or, or just votes down or walks across the floor on something you well, put forward because of his opinions based on, you know, conspiracies he's read on the internet?
1: Well, look, you've just got to work with everyone, right? Yeah. I mean, it's um, – that the Australian people elect the parliament – uh, you've got to respect that. Uh, you've got to sort of uh, just deal with what you've with the people that you have in your party room, and indeed the people on the crossbench and the people on the other side. I mean, you know, some people would say, you know, how can you how can you negotiate and do deals with Pauline Hanson? Well, look, I wouldn't vote for Pauline Hanson, but uh, I don't agree with the with one nation or its views. But if they've got a number of seats in the Senate, I didn't vote for them, but they're there. You know, you've got to talk and negotiate with everybody. I mean, there are some, you know, gosh, there's some some of the people, leaving aside my own party. Um, you know, like that Rod Rod Cullett, Remember him, the yeah. senator from yeah. Western Australia. Look, i got any steel rental? He keys. was he, he was right out it. there. I, I would <laughs> I would sit down with him and talk to him for half an hour, and at the end of it, I would have no idea. <laughs> what he was talking about, zero. Like if you'd said to me, Malcolm, your life depends on writing a paragraph to summarise this discussion, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I said, no, it was like, it was just, and, and no, one, no one else did, you know, and at the end he'd say, that's a great meeting, thanks very much. And, and the, but the important thing is, that's what you've got to do, you know, if, you, if you're trying to get legislation through the Senate, and we had a great track record at doing that. You know uh, despite having a not having majority you've got to be charming and attentive to everyone what's it like working with bob Cutter? well bob bob i did not have a lot to do with to be honest he is somebody also that you can talk to for 20 minutes or so and not be entirely (laughs) sure what he was talking about bob was not because we had a majority in the house of representatives we didn't need Bob to vote for us uh, so in a life or death way, as we did in the Senate. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't sort of wheel and deal with him a lot. I, ha- I had dealings with him at different times. I remember he he agreed to support me on um, after the 16 election on confidence and supply, and then, um, you know, within minutes of doing that, gave a press conference and said he he reserved the right to change his mind at a moment's notice. <laughs> That was, that
0: was terrific. Yeah, we had, we've heard Bob Catter described as the only man in the world with the ability to interrupt himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's a,
1: he's a character. Um, sure
2: I just reason. want to reference one more part in the book about a telephone exchange you had with Scott Morrison and uh, in the days after uh, you essentially handballed him, the prime ministership, yeah. and at the bottom he said that he, he loved you do you think that he meant that in a way that he he loved you because you'd given something he'd always wanted or he loved you in a more fraternal Christian way was he talking I, about I himself as you I, I think it
1: was I, I think it was sort of in the you know love your mate type of uh, right category after it was obvious that uh, you know my government was had been blown up really by you know Dutton and Corman and that whole horrible last week, you know, I had to make sure that Dutton didn't become prime minister. Frankly, I, you know, I owed, I owed that to the to the country, and uh, and the Liberal Party, but primarily to Australia. And so I had to I had to make sure that Morrison succeeded me rather than uh, Dutton. So um, so yes, yeah, Scotts, I certainly uh, made sure Scott um, got up rather than uh, Dutton.
0: The Scots become a bit of a, a an interesting figure in politics. He's he's actually changed the way he speaks a lot. He used to sound a lot more like you, and now he sounds a lot more like Ray Hadley. Do you think you could have done a bit more in your political career to wear a few more rugby league scarfs? And I mean, the man essentially grew up two kilometres from you, so um, he he really was an
1: eastern yeah. suburbs boy until about eighteen months ago. He was absolutely grew up in Bronte, the or Bronte or Waverley. Anyway, that's 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 yeah, just yeah, li- yeah, literally. You know, a couple of kilometres from where I where I live. Um, I do you reckon you could have done a bit more
0: eating in your in your election campaigns? Well,
1: look, I don't know. Look, look, well, can, can I can I can I say this to you? I think that the I, I think that one of the most important things in life and in politics in particular is to be authentic. You know, to be yourself. And a lot of politicians spend a lot of time trying to be something they're not. And as a result, they can often appear to be inauthentic or, and fake. Mm. And, you know, this is, I, I, I actually think Shorten is a better person than he appears to be. Yeah. But I found observing him, and I've written quite a bit, yeah. of, you know, not a huge amount, I've written about a page about this in my book, because it's kind of interesting. I, I thought it was fascinating that Shorten appeared unable to say anything with conviction. <laughs> you know, he was never convincing. And, and the easy, the flip answer that you'd get in the Liberal Party would be to say, oh, well, that's because he's a man of no convictions. Well, that's not true. I mean, you know, Bill would have many convictions. You know, he'd be sincere when he talks about the NDIS. He was no doubt sincere when he was defending his, you know, arguing for, you know, his members. But but I think what he was doing is he was striving so hard to project some sort of image, or maybe he was striving so hard to avoid making a mistake that he didn't actually any longer have an authentic voice of his own. So, you know, you've really just got to be yourself. Now, I, you know, I don't know whether people are always looking to find examples of me being an out-of-touch rich bastard. Right? That was always the, and and when I did, when I didn't provide those examples, they would make them up. Mm. <laughs> but. but you know i've I've, as I describe in my book, you know I grew up in a in a very egalitarian environment, and you know i' there are very few environments, very few environments or milieus or whatever that uh, I feel uncomfortable in. you know I can get on with pretty much anyone.
0: yeah, for for the listeners who who kind of um can't really see that that stark contrast in on camera and off camera Bill Shorten an example of we have is um, we were down there on the lawn apartment house during the first Libs bill for Abbott the one he survived and uh, we saw Shorten running around and we saw him just navigating his stuff he was actually acting like a big union heavy and so he yells across the lawn to Clive Palmer he goes (laughs) whistles oi fucking call me and then all this kind of stuff and we saw him in action and then we get to interview Mm -hmm. him about a year later and uh, we thought we'd kind of get a bit of that out of him and uh, we were asking. It was actually during the the cricketers that they had a pay dispute in the Australian cricket side. And I yeah. and we asked him if uh, if he thought maybe we should start kneecapping a few cricketers, hoping that he would laugh. And his response was, "Now, that's very emotive language you're using there, and it doesn't." <laughs> and, then, and then you know we we have the interview. Well, that's and- what I mean. you <laughs> see that.
1: That's what I mean. So what he's doing is he is he's so self-consciously trying to avoid making a mistake. Yeah that it sounds phony and it was that's a boring the, interview the
0: and then we finished the interview and then he has a glass of scotch and says the f-word about 34 times yeah. in one sentence and yeah it was just kind of maybe he could have gone that hawk
1: avenue been a bit more true to himself mm, well that's right i mean i anyway i just it's a it it it's kind of interesting i mean bill sometimes would give a speech he, he generally gives speeches like I'm, i was the prime minister so i'd speak first then he'd speak right and sometimes he had really beautiful speeches. I admit someone had written for him, really beautiful speeches. And he'd murder them. And you know, there were so many times and I wanted to just say, look, Bill, give me the speech. Just let me have that speech and I'll read it for you. <laughs> oh, geez, because don't, don't let a, the Sky News hear this. <laughs> no, I could imagine, I could imagine, I was just doing him a favor. I was I could imagine some his his speechwriter in the office, you know, banging his or her head you know on the t- on the keyboard you know saying my beautiful words are being mangled um, but you know there it is
2: in law school though or like more sort of pertinently the bar exam is there a unit where you have to learn how to talk while you're holding your glasses I mean that's always been like it's it's it's
1: yeah, no, it's that, that is, that's a that's I don't know whether that's a barrister thing or not. I mean, because when I was a barrister, I didn't wear glasses. Actually, my my eyesight deteriorated as I got older. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think so. I think that was a that was an idiosyncrasy of mine. Did you ever find yourself at points in your career where you are
0: I cleaning up after others? I mean, I remember thinking, seeing that image of Barnaby winning back his electorate after the citizenship. Uh, you know, yeah. after he was sacked by the High Court, and you wanted back, and you were out there just clapping quietly to the side of him, really, basically doing a harker on stage. Mm. Like, how often would that happen? Where you'd go? I mean, I don't know if this is how you were feeling at that time, but it felt like you could have been saying something like, "Jeez, you know, what am I doing here in Tamworth tonight?" Like, you know, oh. we just, we had a good thing going on with this guy's deputy, and then, and not to mention the fact that he's also got another secret that was. uh you know, well and truly, something he knew about at that point that was going to yeah. result in the same thing all over again.
1: Well, no, I was look. I was Barnaby. um, well, you know, look, I, I, I was quite relaxed being in Tamworth and quite relaxed being. You know, I'm I'm comfortable anywhere. Yeah. So there's, as I said, there are very few places where I feel awkward or out of place. Mm. I mean, other people may think I'm out of place, but but I'm. Now, I'm I was talking more about more relaxed. about
0: use of your time. Did you find yourself? Oh no, no. Well,
1: that's no. But hang on, that's you know. But the, the there's a lot of that in politics. I mean, you've got to turn up, right? I mean, that sort of presence, being there, is important. That's why politicians are are away so much, away from home. I mean, I I was um, just talking about this with Lucy last night, and we reckoned that when I was prime minister, I I was at home in Sydney maybe a quarter of the time. It's a. This is a big country, right? And even if you've got your own plane, as the PM does, you 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 can't just. You've got to get out there. You know, you. I mean, the, and you know, it's funny how many places I've been to as PM where I was the first prime minister to go to.
0: Yeah.
1: Tennant Creek was one. I don't think the prime minister had visited there, or maybe not for a very very long time. But there's a there's a ton of them. It, it's a. It's a, This is a very very big country, as we know. Yeah. And. Uh, If you're going to lead it, you've got to be prepared to get out there and see people in every corner of the country.
0: As someone who had a plane in that role, how hard do you reckon it would have been to get back to
1: Australia from Hawaii in 24 hours? (laughs) It's so easy. (laughs) (laughs) As Donald Trump would say, it would have been so simple. (laughs) There there are so many beautiful airlines. (laughs) The easiest thing ever. To get back. No, I mean, of course, there's... I mean, how many flights a day are there from Hawaii? For sake, you know? There's a ton of them. Yeah. Do you think he... Uh... I mean, you know, I mean look, I, I'm not... I live, and I'm not having a go at Scott, yeah. but I mean, but fair income. I mean, we're all... You know, we all know. We all know it is... Hawaii, it's not exactly, you know, some remote, you know, Patagonian, you know, uh, you know island... You know off the coast of tierra del fuego i mean it's you know
2: it's the yeah there's there's two, one of the
1: biggest tourism
2: there's uh, two destinations flights the there world. and two yeah. flights back every day well there'd be yeah i mean uh, it, hawaiian and guanus yeah sure yeah not mm.
0: to mention your own plane
2: well just um just on the topic of the national party how are the belted galloways going malcolm
1: uh, well I don't I don't have any belted galloways. I never have. Oh, I think they're lovely cattle. I thought you did have
2: them. Well no, no do you no, still no, own no, more cattle in the National Party? Pretty,
1: <laughs> no, no, I don't have any belted galloways. No, we have um, in terms of our cattle in the hunter, mostly Herefords with uh, black Angus. So yeah. so we've got the, you know what you, we've got basically a mixture of black Baldies and Herefords. Do you think
0: that was a sore point for the National Party MPs, um, that you owned more cattle than all of them combined?
1: Well, I don't know whether it was a sore point. I mean, sometimes that some of the gnats used to tell me it was a strong suit. Mm. But, the, but I mean, they're, they're just, you know, the, the, what I thought was funny was, so the one time when I, we were out doing some visits in the bush during the, you know, when the drought was really bad, and i'm wearing a hat i'm wearing a you know an akubra hat like yours
0: mm-hmm. um probably as clean as and, mine
1: but yes, yes, yes. And, 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 and there were these people you know my admirers in the murdoch press were columnists were saying you know malcolm turnbull pretending to be a bushy pretending this, pretending that and I felt like, was said, you know how much country do you have to have and for how long do you have to have it before you can wear the hat you've been wearing for you know years and years and years. There was a lot of irrationality in that, that sort of commentary. But it was in, it was interesting. I mean, the droughts. I you know in a, I mean you know my rural connection is that uh, my dad border who was a, a a country guy. You know, grew up in in the Hunter and was a very very good horseman, really good camp drafter. And you know, quite adventurous. He loved breaking in young horses, and you know, there's a lot of stories about him some horses. But anyway, he he bought this place in the Hunter near Scone in '81, and he was killed a year later. And I kept the property, and we you know bought some adjoining blocks, and then we bought another place up near Murarundi. And so finally, we had you know a commercial operation. You know, we were I don't know branding sort of 500 calves a year, you know, more or less, and uh you know selling a uh, you know 1000 uh fat lambs. So, you know, uh, so it was a, it was a commercial operation. And we went through uh, all the droughts everyone else did, you know, in those intervening years. And you know, the first one just at the time dad was killed, I sold most of our stock. And it cost a fortune to restock and so I, I learned that lesson. And so we hung on in all the other droughts. It was really only in this last drought that I de-stocked. And, and you know, we we are carrying, we've got about half of our, what we would call our normal uh, stock numbers, you know. So that's getting, building that back up again is going to be a challenge. But we, we used to have uh, uh, cattle on the road. And in oh, fact, yeah. David Littleproud, we had quite, we had a mob of cattle, with a driver up in uh, on the travelling stock routes up in David Littleproud's electorate where you are, yeah. Up, uh, well, not at Batuta. I don't think there's a lot of would have been a lot of grass there then. But there was just close to the border. There was some country, and Littleproud used to tell me that he'd get um, calls from his constituents and saying, "Hey, your boss's cattle are, uh, you know, <laughs> wandering along, presumably pushing their way through their fences and eating their grass," I guess as well. <laughs> Yeah.
0: He makes a good fruit cake, Little Proud. Um, that's his
1: reputation. Does he? yeah. Okay. He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy, smart young guy. He'll go a long way.
0: Do you reckon He's leader of the Nats? He's gone a long way
1: already, but he'll, he'll, go for, he'll go further, I think, in due
0: course. I'll just get our uh, listeners to get their checkbooks out now. Um, we're going to get some good oil from you regarding the seat for Eden Monaro. Obviously, uh, poor old Mike Kelly's had to stand down for health reasons. Who do you reckon, not who do you want, who do you reckon's taking this seat at a by-election? Nats? Libs, Labor?
1: Well, you know, as, as, as we always say, you know, governments very rarely win. But, but that's only once in 100 years a government's won a seat from the opposition in a by-election. But I think this is a seat that could very likely go to the government. You've got, it depends on, but it's going to depend a lot on the candidates. Yeah. You know? um, so Andrew I think it will be, somewhere. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting electorate in Monero. Because yeah. it's you know most of it's Queanbeyan, which is basically a suburb of Canberra. Yeah, and then you've got all of that country, you know, right down to the south. You've got the Snow Mountains. Um, you know, you've got Cooma and Bega and it's all Tumit and it's all bushfire ravaged land.
0: anyway. Like it's it's well, it, uh, yeah it, sure. So it's basically that a, was a, a
1: Tumut. Tumut was the was the scene of one of my more wicked. Attempts to try to get the press ga- get the press gallery to lighten up. So I was down there opening a um, an extension of a uh, you know a cardboard box factory for um, at uh, the Anthony Pratt owns that busy owns, and um, the citizenship crisis was just red hot. You know? <laughs> and um, I, I started off the press conference. I, I said uh, I said, look, I've got an important announcement to make. Uh, about my father, and they all went, "Oh my God, Malcolm's father's a foreign citizen or something." <laughs> and I said, "I have to disclose." I said, "My father was a citizen of Tumut." Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they were ready so, to get Twitter with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they were—they were very—they were, very, were licking their lips, and they realised I was having a lend of them. Do you reckon? Anyways, being- Talk to you guys.
0: Yeah. How are we going? Now we'll, we'll wrap up. Now, yeah, uh, a lot more in, included in this book about the life and times of the 29th. Just last question: How did you decide when to write this? You know, I imagine if you'd written this a year ago, it might have come out a bit too bitter. Uh, but you still wanted to write it while the, all those feelings were yeah. there. How did you? Um, how did you? Designate, well, like, I, did you I wanted. To, I
1: mean, look, I didn't. I didn't really even start writing it until the beginning of last year yeah. beginning of 19 and i had finished it pretty much by the end of last year and really finished it in january that put the last finishing touches on it in january well look I, you know i mean i think sooner is better mm-hmm. i don't think it's uh, i mean I'd, i don't hope, i hope i mean the press some people in the press want to Presented as being an angry book or a bitter book, I think it's actually a funny book in many places. There's, a, there's some, certainly some sections that I thought were very amusing at the time. You know, I've always tried to enjoy myself, and where situations are entertaining, to you know, relish it. So, look, I, I think it's a, it, you know, what do you do? You wait five years. I mean, who, who's to say I'll be around in five years' time? You know, so. Well, I think it's. I think it's worth getting on while the recollections are fresh, and um, there it is.
0: Well, uh, we hope you're uh, self-isolating. Uh, yeah, you've got a, a fence line around that property there, and uh,
1: I do. Yes, yeah. yes, we're we self-isolating here in um, the Harbourside Mansion. Yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> I think it's from t- today. You'd be able to uh, tandem kayak with a stranger. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been
1: doing quite a lot of kayaking actually. It's a bit. It's a bit windy in today, uh, but um, no, I've been doing quite a lot of kayaking. I love uh, I love kayaking. It's the best. It's, uh, I'm not sure how good it is as exercise. I assume it's, it's okay. But gosh, it's great. Uh, it's cosmic. You know, it's so beautiful mm. getting out on the harbour, particularly when it's still. And the great thing about a kayak is that you can go over the very in very shallow water. So you can skim over all the rock pools and all that stuff. Look at all the fish and the crabs and stuff.
0: Well, stay safe and please tell your son. I well. Same to you. T- tell Alex to um, come on here as well because we, we reckon we'll get a bit more um, a bit more juice out of him. He <laughs> nearly he nearly came on when it was very raw and he pulled the pin at the last second. Oh so... no, well you should get
1: him. Well you were in touch with him, I assume. Yeah, we well, can, get, yeah. get him on. He's a get him on, he's a he's a he's a very colourful uh, very colourful character. Okay. Yeah, right. he's got he's got that he's got that ebullience from his mother's side. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. well, thanks All for joining right. us. Thank uh, you, Mr. Turnbull. We'll, um, we'll see, see you another time.
1: See see thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Ciao.